Hi, welcome to Living Water Bible Fellowship's audio sermons. It's our prayer and hope that you'll be encouraged and uplifted by the preaching of God's Word. Stick around after the message to hear more about how to contact us. Jesus did something amazing, something only he could do. He brought about the salvation of sinners, rebels, haters, evildoers. He accomplished the salvation of us. The week started not on a sad note, not on a depressing note, not on a note of sadness and sorrow. The week started with triumph. started with joy and exaltation. Sunday. Sunday arrived. The Sunday that Jesus had been waiting for for months and months and months. The triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, to Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go to the village in front of you. Immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied in which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? 
Say, the Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. Some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? They told them that Jesus, what Jesus had said, and, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. The road down from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a drop in elevation, but as you leave the city going to the east and to the south, you run into the village of Bethphage. And you run into the village of Bethany. Bethany is about two miles from Jerusalem. When they come up out of Jordan, out of the Jordan River Valley, out of Jericho, they came to Bethany. And you remember who lived in Bethany? Mary and Martha and Lazarus. You remember how Jesus had risen Lazarus from the grave? Called him out great and incredible miracle. Everybody in Bethany, everybody in Bethphage knew Jesus. Jesus does something that's unexpected. He, uh, he tells his disciples, go get me a donkey. He shows his supernatural, his omniscient power by saying there's a donkey in the next village. He's probably in Bethany and he's saying about Bethphage, go to that village and get me that donkey. It's a colt. No one's ever ridden. And they go, okay. And they go into Bethphage, and just as he said it would be, there's the donkey, the colt, the donkey. And the owners say, what do you want him for? And just as Jesus said, they let it go, making their contribution. But what they didn't understand, perhaps, was that Jesus was presenting himself. He was going to present himself by fulfilling prophecy, by being the king who is to come, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and a colt, the pole of the donkey. They bring it to him, and uh, Jesus so shows again his power over creation. I wonder if an animal that had never been ridden would let anybody get on his back. Jesus rides the donkey without any problems because he's the master and he's the Lord over his creation. As they go down into Jerusalem, the red carpet's laid out. They're putting their cloaks on the ground before him and laying the palm branches down on the road. It's a, it's a beautiful moment. It's a celebratory moment. The king has come. The king has arrived. The people before Jesus and the people after Jesus, I, I think the word is antiphonal. They're, they're singing the psalm that was always sung. The entry psalms, 113 through 118, and this particular one that they're singing is Psalm 118. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
save and praise and save, Lord. We praise you, Lord. It's a great, great moment for the king. The riding in on a donkey was a humble act, an act that showed his heart to service. As the crowds are excited about a conquering king, as the crowds are excited about a, a king who would throw off the Romans, who would take the political throne and rule with might and power, Jesus enters Jerusalem and he looks around the temple and he doesn't start a war. He doesn't call for an army. He turns around and he goes back to Bethany to spend the night. We start this journey to the cross by remembering that Jesus came as the servant king. If you've been here the last several weeks, you remember how we talked about again and again. Jesus says, if you want to be great, you have to be a servant. If you want to be first, you have to be last at all. Last of everyone. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The difficulty for Jesus and why we worship him, why we remember him tonight, why we, we this night that we remember he was betrayed, and this night that we remember he suffered so greatly for us. When he came into Jerusalem, he came to serve, and he knew nobody would, nobody would understand. He came to serve, and he knew nobody would get it. Because his own disciples, the closest ones to him, they all rejected him three times on the road. When they were way up north, as they moved through Galilee, and now they come into the, to the heart of the, the country, and uh, nobody gets it. He came to serve. He came to love. Love is giving for the benefit of others. He wanted to pigeonhole him into what they wanted him to be, and what, he, what they wanted him to accomplish, what they wanted him to do for them. They didn't realize that he came to do what they needed most. He came to save their souls. Let's declare with this next song the truth about Jesus, the truth about his heart, truth about what he wanted to accomplish. Let's worship him and remember. Please stand.
and he sought an opportunity to betray him. We don't know why Judas went down that road. We know, we know he was tempted by the devil. We know that the devil came in and tempted him. But why? What was his deal with Jesus? Maybe by Wednesday, he realized that Jesus wasn't interested in being the king that Judas wanted him to be. We learn from scripture that Judas was greedy. He kept the money bag. He would take from it. Maybe Judas, like the other apostles, the other ones that Jesus had picked and summoned to himself to be with him and to go out and preach. Maybe, maybe Judas, when he realized that Jesus wasn't going to be the, the king immediately over Israel, maybe when Judas realized he wasn't going to be in a position of power where, where he could take and steal, maybe he got angry, maybe he got frustrated. Maybe his expectation of the coming years would be that he had earned it, that he had earned, earned greatness, he had earned glory, he had earned the fruits of walking with Jesus for so long. Maybe when he realized that Jesus wasn't interested in being the kind of king that the, that the Jews wanted him to be, he decided that he was going to seek glory elsewhere. Maybe he decided he was going to go try to get rich from the chief priests. That day, he started looking for an opportunity. And the, the, the priests were excited. The chief priests, the leaders of the land were excited because they were thinking a different timeline. They were thinking a different agenda. In, in their minds, you know, when the Passover feast comes, when the Feast of Unleavened Bread comes, thousands and thousands and thousands of Jews, pious Jews, come into the city. They, they spill over to the surrounding villages. They were worried if they tried to arrest Jesus that especially the Galileans in the crowd would maybe riot and cause problems. So in their minds, it can't be during the festival. So they're thinking after the festivals are over, after the crowds start to go home, that's when they want to grab him and snatch him. But Judas comes and he tells them, I could probably get Jesus alone. I could probably help you capture him. And they were glad. They offered him money. Their timeline was not God's timeline. God had a plan that the chief priest didn't understand, and Jesus had a plan that the chief priest didn't understand. To be betrayed. To be handed over. To be arrested. Thursday, <coughs> follows, I think, a long time after Wednesday in Jesus' timeline. On Wednesday, they are in the city, they're going back and forth to Bethany, he's been anointed for burial, Judas agrees to betray Jesus. And then the Passover. Thursday was the day that the Passover lamb was killed. Thursday during the day before the sunset. In the Jewish reckoning of time, it gets really complicated when we try to look at the Roman reckoning of time and the Jewish reckoning of time. The Thursday during the day, in our time, goes Thursday into the evening till midnight, but the Jewish timeline is different. The new day starts the sundown. 
the sunset. Jesus has his Passover meal with the disciples in the upper room. When he was up there, he said, one of you is going to betray me. One of you is going to give me up the one dipping his bread in the bowl with me. And all the disciples were distressed, and they said, one by one, surely not I, Lord. After the meal, after they sung the hymn, they went out to Mount of Olives. And they went to a place called, called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. At the edge of the olive grove, most of the disciples are, are sat out there. He took with him inside the grove, Peter, James, and John. And he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Jesus began to be greatly distressed and troubled. He said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. Stay awake and watch. Stay awake and pray, is what he's insisting. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Jesus is in agony. He knows what lies before him. He knows what's coming. He's told them already that they're going to mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And yet, here in the Garden of Gethsemane, he surrenders himself to the Father's will. If it's possible, take this cup, take this cup of wrath, take this judgment that's coming away from me, but not what I will, but what you will. An example for us on how to live and walk in obedience. It's a it's an amazing moment, a terrible moment for Jesus, but a great moment as he is surrendered. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch? One hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. They didn't know what to tell him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking a rest? It is enough, the hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests, scribes, and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, When I kiss is the man, seize him and lead him away under guard. When he came, he went up to him, and at once he said, Rabbi, and kissed him. And he laid hands on him and seized him, and then one who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Jesus said to them, imagine the tears in his eyes. They missed their Lord. They missed their master. They missed their salvation. 
Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And just as he had predicted, they all left him and fled. The disciples, they all left him and fled. The servant king came on Sunday to praise the expectation, the glory. By Wednesday, the plot develops the betrayal, and by Thursday, he's handed over. It must have been a horrible moment to have someone that you had loved so much and cared for so much and taken through so much and built up so much to betray you. Some of you probably know what betrayal feels like. But then for all of them, they had told him previously, they, they told him previously, man, if everyone leaves you, I will not deny, deny you. They all, they all insisted on that. And now they're all running. All he sees is, the, is their backside running in terror as he is tied up. The servant king becomes the king who is betrayed. The king that is abandoned. The king who is left all alone. We, uh, I think every one of us have probably gone through some dark times some hurtful times and some terrifying times. Now, I don't know if you had to be alone during those times. But Jesus is headed toward the most terrible of torments that we cannot even imagine, and he was left all alone. And what stuns me about his love, what captures our hearts and our imaginations about his servanthood is he didn't stop. At any moment, he could have called 12 legions of angels to come and rescue him. At any moment, he could have done a miracle and, and left the midst of them without them even seeing him. At any moment, he could have run away, but he let them tie him up. And he went through the abandonment searing pain of bitter loss. Our Lord Jesus wasn't about to let go of his mission. His mission to love us unto death. To give his life away so we could have life. To take our debt upon him so that we could be debt-free before God. Pause for a few moments in silent prayer. Come before Jesus right now and give him thanks. Express to him your love and your thankfulness and your gratitude. And worship him in silence this night. He was betrayed.
Jesus to the high priest. And they led Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests and elders and scribes came together. And Peter had followed them at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards, warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another, not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witness do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. And as soon as the morning, as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away to be delivered unto Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered and said, You have said so. And the chief priest accused him of many things. And Pilate asked again, asked him again, Have you no answer to me? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer, and so Pilate was amazed. Mark 14 and 15. Old Testament, Isaiah wrote about the servant who would come. There's a special scripture in Isaiah 53. We're going to read it together later. But there's a, a, a passage in there where the servant goes silently to his doom. A lamb led to his death, doesn't fight, doesn't kick, doesn't plead, silent before his shearers, silent before the ones who sacrifice him. It's Thursday night, they've eaten the meal, they've remembered the Passover, they remembered the unleavened bread. They remembered how God rescued Israel out of Egypt. How the blood covered the doorposts and the angel of death did not kill their ancestors. How they hurried in haste. They, they left in haste with the plunder of Egypt towards the promised land. They, they remembered at the, at the meal that night. 
and they went out to Gethsemane. Jesus entered into his agony. They found him, they arrested him, then began a series of trials. Mark lists some of them. The whole list isn't found anywhere. The amalgamation of the Gospels tells us there's at least six trials. First, they lead him to Annas' house, the former high priest. Then they lead him to Caiaphas' residence, the current high priest, the son of Annas. Peter, during this time, followed from a distance. He, he went right up into Caiaphas' courtyard. He sat with the servants and he warmed himself by the fire as Jesus is being tried. The third trial, if you want to call it a trial, they brought the Sanhedrin together, the chief priests, the elders, the scribes. The whole Sanhedrin is assembled in the middle of the night in a legal trial. Nonetheless, they're looking for testimony, testimony to convict Jesus, to accuse him, to be able to say that he's worthy of death. They bring witness after witness. None of their testimonies agree. They're all lying. They're all deceiving. A couple stood up and said, we remember he said, I will destroy this temple made by hands, and the third day I will build it without hands. Even their testimony didn't agree. So the high priest, during that, that time, Caiaphas, when, when the assembly came together, the Sanhedrin, the, the leaders, the, the supposedly righteous ones of Israel, are all, all gathered together. And he tries to get Jesus to talk. You've heard them say what they're saying is you. You're hearing their accusations, Jesus. Aren't you going to answer? And the lamb who was going to be slaughtered said nothing. He could have defended himself. He could have said, they're wrong that, you're wrong about that, you're wrong about that. He could have, he could have broken into the ground with his logic and his reasons and his truth. His, his testimony, he could have spelled it all out clearly, but he remained silent. The scripture that Colleen read, it's only when he was charged under oath to tell about his identity that he spoke. The high priest said, tell us, are you the Messiah? Are you the Son of the Blessed One? He said, I am. You'll see me seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And that's when the high priest tore his robe and why do we need witnesses? You've heard the blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him. In the middle of the night, in the darkness, he could have defended himself. He could have acquitted himself. He could have got off. He could have forced the issue, but he just told him who he was. And then he sat back as the storm grew in intensity. They spit on him, they blindfolded him, they beat him, and, and they mocked him by saying, prophesy, who hit you? Even the temple servants slapped him. The fourth trial, uh, it took place, it's, it's hard to, to put it all together, but in the morning, 
Apparently the Sanhedrin got together with a final kind of stamp of approval. Early in the morning they sent him to Pilate. Maybe 6 a.m. Really early in the morning. Pilate questioned him and talked to him and uh, are you the king of the Jews? You say so, Jesus said. We, we find out from Luke that Pilate, when he heard that Jesus uh, was a Galilean, he sent him to Herod. Herod was his fifth trial. Herod interviewed him. Jesus was silent. Sent him back to Pilate. He's led back to Pilate. Pilate questions him some more. Haven't you heard the accusations? The chief priests are accusing you of all kinds of things. Aren't you going to talk? Still, Jesus remains silent. The innocent one, the sinless one, did not speak because he had us in mind. He wasn't looking for his freedom. He wasn't looking to be justified before the eyes of the world. He wasn't looking to get off death row. Because he was on mission to save us. I find it remarkable all the places when, when, when you see the trials happening. All the time it says he's led. The soldiers led him to Annas' house. The soldiers led him to Caiaphas' house. The soldiers led him to Pilate. The soldiers led him out to the, the palace, the governor's residence, where they, where they put a purple robe on him and they, they put a crown of thorns on his head and they, they, they beat his head and they hit him again and again and they spit on him and they, they fell on their knees saying, homage to him and mocking him. They led him out to Golgotha. They led him out to be crucified and all his wanderings and all his goings with these people, he let it happen. As they slandered him, as they ridiculed him in every way they knew how. As they brought all kinds of physical pain upon him, as his pilot soldiers flogged him, opened up his back. He did not cry out for justice for himself. As they pierced his flesh with the nails, He let it happen. The, the, the great irony is the sacred head, the king of the world, the, the king of the world, the, the, the maker of heaven and earth, the, the maker of all of us, he becomes abused by us. He becomes trash to us. He's destroyed by us. How can that be? Tonight we remember and we give thanks. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God, Jesus, submitted himself to the Father's will and took him all the way to the cross and at any time he could have gotten off the ride he chose to stay on the journey to the cross 
He chose to stay on the cross so that he could die in your place. And die in my place so that we might have permission to sins. Please stand again. Let's reflect and let's worship. Let's honor him. Remember what he did. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, 
Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And some ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Jesus was led out to Golgotha, the place of the skull. They offered him, they insisted he drink wine mixed with myrrh, but he refused. He didn't want to be groggy for what he was about to endure. At 9 a.m., he was crucified. He'd been awake all night. He'd suffered, he'd bled, he'd gone through torment, and he experienced the hatred of man. They, they crucified him, and, and while they did that, they stripped him naked, and they, they, they gambled for his clothes. They rolled dice for his clothes. And uh, they, they decided, you know, they're going to see who got what. I don't know what they would do with those bloody garments ripped and torn, maybe it was a souvenir, maybe maybe those kind of guys kept trophies of their handiwork. The, uh, the passerbyers, they mocked Jesus, they hurled insults at Jesus. Ah, he's the one who said that he would tear down the temple and raise a new one in three days. Let's see if he comes down off that cross. Let's see if he can save himself. And in the same way, the high priests and the scribes, they mocked him among themselves. He saved others. Can he save himself? Come on, Messiah. Come on, son of blessed one. Come down so we may see and we can believe who you are. You know, the amazing thing about human nature, even, even the ones who were crucified with him on his right and on his left, they taunted him as they were dying. So for three hours, 
that went on. And then at noon, the sixth hour, according to the reckoning of the Jews, at noon, uh, darkness came over the whole land. Guys, this is the time that Jesus had been worried about. So his human nature, of course, he feared and he trembled at beatings and floggings and mockings and being struck again and again, but when the darkness came over the whole land at noon, this lasted the three hours, it was a sign of God's judgment upon him. The time of Jesus' sorrow really began in earnest when the Father turned his face away. The scriptures say that God cannot look on sin. Scriptures say God is full of wrath against sin, and wrath is hatred of sin, and thank God we have a God who hates sin. But the problem for Jesus was he had become sin. All of humanity's sins, our sins, your sins, my sins, were laid upon him, upon the sacred head, upon the second member of the Trinity. The God-man, Jesus Christ. For three hours, we think, we don't know the precise details, only God does. But in that time, the suffering of a trillion sins, of a million sins that I've committed, He paid for them all. God's intense hatred of sin directed towards his son. We can imagine agonies. Some of us have suffered in hospital beds or suffered in different calamities or tribulations or trials. And they lasted for a season. But what would it be like to have the judgment of God, the full wrath of God focused upon you unto death. For three hours, he, uh, he hung there in the darkness, symbol of God's judgment against him and against his people who had rejected him as king. And then at three o'clock, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why is this happening? Notice he still had faith. Notice he still had relationship. My God. With the forsaking. I wonder if this might have been the worst torment. The Holy Trinity, perfect in love, in eternity, in timelessness, forever and ever. The Holy Trinity, the, a, a key component, a key characteristic, a key attribute is love, self-giving love. For the first time in eternity, Jesus felt outside of that love. Forsaken by the Father.
and he did it to save us. Surely he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. But we'll never grasp his punishment. We'll never grasp his pains. We'll never grasp his, his torments. Jesus paid it all. So the servant king, the king who is betrayed, the silent lamb going to slaughter, the worst part of it all, he was the God-forsaken son. We worship him tonight. We honor him tonight. Because through his stripes, if we trusted in Jesus with our life, through his stripes, we are healed. What a great God. What a great Savior. All for love. And all for us. Praise God. God into the land I will sing. 
you guys will respond. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him now together. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. Yet we have seen him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Jesus' life was uh, snuffed out. Jesus' life was taken from him. The innocent one, the sinless one. And let's be very clear why. We have sinned against God. We have rebelled against God. We have fallen short of his mark. We have gone against his boundaries. We've, we've transgressed his boundaries. We've done evil. The gospel story is one that is uh, incredible and, and um, beyond, beyond words even, but we try to grasp a hold of it by, by thinking about what's been accomplished for us. We as sinners have no place in heaven. We, have, we as sinners, we as, as evildoers, we as wicked people, we have no place in God's holy heaven. Holiness, with, is it holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He's pure, he's without sin, he's without, without evil. We cannot, as sinners, ever enter heaven in and of ourselves. We, we are powerless. We, we can never earn enough or do enough or become good enough to outweigh all of our guilt and all of our shame. We're guilty. We're guilty sinners before God. We're condemned sinners before God. Ours is the punishment. Ours is the wrath of God upon our sins. Ours is being cast out into the outer darkness there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Ours is a future of death, of graves and tombs, without hope. And this is where the story becomes good news. This journey to the cross that Jesus took he went to that cross, 
as we just read, as our substitute, as a sacrifice. Remember as we talked in previous weeks about Jesus' work and his mission? He said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, a payment for many to set people free who could not set themselves free. A great exchange is what God intended. God loved the world. God loved his creation. God loved the people he had made. But his holiness, those attributes coming together, holiness and love, the holiness could not allow them just to skate by. He cannot be that grandpa that says, it's okay if you sin. It's okay if you, you do what you want. It's okay. I still love you. And, and he does, but he cannot abide in that sin. He has to destroy it by his nature. And so we, we hear the gospel again and again, but we, we forget sometimes the object of the gospel is us. Sometimes we forget that we needed a Savior, that we needed a rescuer, we need someone to pay our ransom to set us free. Jesus Christ paid our debt. Jesus Christ took our punishment upon himself and paid it in full. He who had no sin became sin for us so that we sinners could become the righteousness of God. So we could enter into his presence, so we could be with him forever. That's the story of the Bible, a story of redemption from beginning to end. Sin, brokenness, shame, evil, but God working to redeem, God working to restore, God working to, to reconcile people to himself. And he did it ultimately through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And you've seen tonight the extent that he went. You've seen tonight what he paid. Jesus paid it all for you and for me. But you've got to hear it tonight. You've got to understand that if you don't put your faith in Jesus, if you don't trust him for what he's done, if you don't trust his work on the cross, that he accomplished it, if you're still holding on to hope that you're good enough, if you're still holding on to hope that you can earn it, if you're still holding on to hope that, that you can achieve heaven like the Pharisees through their legalistic works, through law-keeping or, or good being a good churchgoer or something like that, if you think that you're still worthy, repent, come to reality, outside of the Savior Jesus, you're dead, you're grave-bound, you're hell-bound tonight. For God will judge you for all the wicked and evil things, even the smallest sins you have committed. You and I, we remember tonight, you and I need an advocate. You and I need a redeemer. You and I need a savior. And we've learned again tonight Jesus Christ. Turn to Jesus and be saved. The word says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. All who turn to him and depend on him and rest in his finished work at the cross, they're declared righteous. They're declared holy in God's sight. To those who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God, part of his family. Please do not stay in condemnation. Please do not stay in the place of death. 
Please do not stay in a place where you will taste the wrath of God. For Jesus has already paid it all for you. Won't you trust in him? Won't you give him your life? Won't you surrender to him in his finished work? Believing, trusting, he's done everything necessary to save you from your sins. If you believe in him tonight, if you trust in him tonight, you are forgiven. And God justifies you and declares you righteous. Not on your own merit, but on the merit of Jesus Christ. That night that Jesus was betrayed, Earlier that day, the Passover lamb had been sacrificed. Remembrance of how the blood was shed to protect Israel from the angel of death and God's wrath. When the blood was placed on the doorpost, it shielded them. There was a sign that there was a covering, a protection. The night that Jesus was betrayed, they were eating the Passover meal, remembering what God had done to save them. And Jesus, that night, he reconstituted that meal and he said it was about him, a foreshadowing of him, a pointing to him. That night in the upper room, Jesus took bread. He blessed it and he broke it. He said, take it. It's my body. He was speaking of what was going to happen, him giving his life away for them. And they all took and ate. You're invited to the table tonight. Take and eat. He took the cup and he gave thanks for it. He gave it to his disciples and they all drank from it, says Mark. He said, this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for many. I tell you the truth, he said, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. His blood poured out to bring us life, to cover us from wrath, to make us right with God. You're invited to come and drink tonight. It's a celebration and rejoicing for the finished work of Jesus Christ come, you're invited to come and worship. There's a couple tables off to the side, and if you can't see, maybe we'll turn up the lights just a little bit more. But you're welcome to come to the table here and receive the cup and the bread. You haven't taken these before, the bread's underneath. Take it back to your seat, and we will. Once everyone who is a believer who's trusting tonight, receives, we will eat and drink together the sign of our common faith and our common salvation achieved by Jesus Christ. Please come to the tables now, starting in the back and coming forward.
our Lord Jesus. Oh, our Lord Jesus, we confess that we uh, do not deserve the goodness of your grace in our life. We deserve punishment. We deserve the condemnation that was upon us. We deserve to pay for our sins. But our Lord Jesus, we remember tonight and we worship tonight and we celebrate tonight that you gave us grace instead. Instead of wrath, you gave us grace. Your goodness expressed to us sinners is so sweet and so wonderful. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you, the symbol of your body. We thank you when you said you're giving your body away. Only you know what that meant in advance. Thank you for surrendering it all for us. And Lord Jesus, the symbol of your blood. How much blood did you lose that night, that morning, that day, before you gave up your spirit, before you were laid in that tomb? We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your substitutionary work, atoning sacrifice for our sins. Thank you for your punishment for covering us with your blood. We know by trusting in you that we have forgiveness of sins. Trusting in your mighty work, your shed blood, we honor you. And so by faith, take the bread and eat. By faith and worship, take the cup and drink. Our Lord Jesus, thank you for making for yourself a people of your very own. You saved us by your own hand. You saved us by your own feet. You saved us by your own death. And Lord, we give you our lives tonight. We give you praise and honor and glory. May, may our lives be an offering to you that you are so worthy. We love you, Lord. Amen. Let's sing one more song. Let's thank our Lord for what he did on the cross, that he died and suffered. Thank you for the cross, Lord. Thank you for the price you made. Bearing all my sin and shame, in love you came and gave amazing grace. Thank you for the
praise because of the sacrifice that you made because of what you've done. We are so in your debt. We are so grateful for who you are. God, Lord, may we reflect on you and we reflect on the cross the rest of this night. May we reflect on your sacrifice tomorrow, but may we look forward to Sunday morning because we know that you didn't stay in the grave and that you are the risen king. So we look forward to that. But let this be a time where we can reflect on your sacrifice, your love poured out for us. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God's grateful people said. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand, where he sits making intercession for his people, and right now he is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God, by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, his death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.